Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily's The Sidebar, taking you inside the courtrooms of high-profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm a criminal defense lawyer based here in Los Angeles and formerly a L.A. County prosecutor for nearly a decade. We're recording this on Friday, June 10th, 2022. Today, we are excited to be joined by Mitra Ahurian, a corporate and entertainment law attorney with vast experience negotiating deals in film, television, and other media. Mitra, welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. A lot of fun stuff going to talk about today, huh? Absolutely. Lots for us to uh, cover. Uh, But before we jump in, Mitra, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got your start? Sure. Uh, Yeah. So my background is in corporate law. Probably spent about a year or so um, strictly doing corporate law and then transitioned into entertainment. So I specialized in entertainment and have sort of continued on that path. But um, I was at a big firm and then a smaller firm and I've been in house and I've had my own practice for several years now, which is my happy place. Um, And I also litigated for a few years, litigated a few high profile cases. So I have a lot of experience in a broad array of areas of the law. But these days, what I prefer to do is represent um, people in the entertainment industry, film, music, television, and all that good stuff. Influencers, you know, everything is media now i feel like so right, right, <laughs> so, right. a lot of people in that gamut fantastic well we are going to uh call upon your vast experience and especially dealing with celebrities because every single one of these cases today seems like it involves one so jumping right in the first uh, case we're going to talk about is jury selection uh begins for the n- murder of nipsey hustle Three years after his death, the trial for the man accused of shooting rapper and entrepreneur Nipsey Hussle is set to begin with jury selection in Los Angeles. Eric Holder Jr. was charged in 2019 with Nipsey's murder. He also faces two counts of attempted murder for two additional men that were injured during the shooting. The shooting happened outside Hussle's a clothing store called The Marathon in South Los Angeles. It reportedly occurred after a conversation between Holder and Hustle in which Hustle allegedly told Holder that it was rumored that he was a snitch, uh, not something people in that world and industry want to be called. Prosecutors allege Holder left the premises before returning in a vehicle driven by his then-girlfriend and opened fire on Hustle with two separate weapons, killing the rapper and injuring two other men. Both of the men, uh, Nipsey and Holder, are alleged members of the Rolling Sixties gang. Um, Hustle was shot at least 
10 times in the incident. His death was shocking to the local community and larger hip-hop audience. A year prior, he had released the album Victory Lap, which garnered a Grammy a Grammy nomination. All right, let's uh, jump into this, uh, Mitra. Is, is, do you feel there's increased pressure for these prosecutors to gain a conviction in, in this type of a case that's involving a high-profile victim? Yeah, definitely when there is a high-profile victim with any sort of high-profile case, there are more eyes on the prosecutor and a lot more um, attention drawn to the decisions that are made and definitely pressure to convict when, of course, the evidence points to it. Um, Sometimes when, you know, the justice system does not do its job, um, this kind of bleeds into uh, people feeling like they need to take justice into their own hands. And so I think that that pressure is also overwhelming for a prosecutor. Yeah, yeah. Jury selection is is slated to last two weeks in this case. Do you think uh, they're going to run into particular problems from both sides, prosecution and defense, uh, because we are dealing with such a, a high profile figure being killed? There are so many things that could create prejudice and bias. And when we talk about uh, somebody who's well known in the community, we talk about somebody who there are people who might have opinions about hip hop. There are people who might have opinions about or not might definitely have opinions about gang members. Um, And so when you try to get uh, a jury pool and you're trying to filter those things out, some of these biases are very subconscious. There are people who will express their opinions and there are some people who probably maybe grew up in LA around gangs and have, you know, have ideas or from television or, um, so you you hope to get a jury pool that is not influenced by these things, but I think that the people that you are selecting from, the pool becomes smaller and smaller when you have these uh, high-profile individuals who are involved. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The, the, the other phenomenon that starts to happen in these types of cases is that you have these jurors who uh, are willing to kind of deceive the system in order to get onto the to the trial. I mean, I, I did you know, dozens of trials downtown. Nobody wanted to get onto my trials. Everybody's trying to get off of jury duty because it didn't involve any kind of celebrity. But in a case like this, and we saw this uh, most recently in the Ghislaine Maxwell uh, prosecution, that there was a juror who did not, was not forthcoming about uh, their prior history and experience with sexual abuse, kind of hid that and then got onto the jury and tried to influence other jurors. Now, her legal team tried to do something about this, and so far that's that's not been successful for them. But I, I think that's a, another thing to worry about for the prosecutors and defense attorneys. As much time as they have to question these people, people can just be dishonest about it. Um, the other thing that we're, we're hearing reports about is that there's apparently video that captures the murder. Do you think that turns this into a slam dunks for the prosecution in this case? Not necessarily. I mean, I think the question of whether the shooting happened is not really uh, the question that we're dealing with here, right? So it's the circumstances surrounding it. So whether that video gives us some context, we don't know if that's going to be helpful or hurtful. Um, but you know, but but the shooting isn't in question. So it really comes down to what's in that video beyond the actual shooting. Yeah, I, I have experience with that as well with video that oftentimes video can be um, not manipulated, but but examined so 
uh, in such detail, frame by frame, that you start to lose sight of what you're even looking at. And so I feel like people are kind of, can be dismissive. Oh, well, there's video. Well, then the guy's guilty. And you'd be surprised what a good defense attorney can do, even with video and kind of, you know, doing their best to kind of uh, uh, um, trick the jury or confuse the jury. And that's all they need, right? They just need to confuse the jury. They don't need to actually convince them of anything. Sure. So we'll keep a close eye on that case uh, as it continues to develop. But let's talk about Rob Kardashian and Black China are set to return to trial in her revenge porn suit. This lawsuit dates to 2017 when China, whose legal name is Angela White, sued Rob Kardashian, claiming that he, quote, went on a revenge porn rant that she described as a, quote, form of domestic abuse. China's team alleges that Kardashian posted private photos to his 9 million Instagram followers containing images of China nude in a vicious social media tirade. This is a quote from her lawsuit designed to hurt and publicly shame Miss White. Kardashian's team, for their part, has requested a delay of the case, claiming that they had reached a written deal with China and her lawyer in this matter. His legal team insists that China and her team acted in bad faith in repudiating the agreement and they are seeking an order uh, from the court enforcing the party's settlement. China's legal team alleges that Kardashian also violated California law by revealing alleged details of ongoing settlement conversations. Okay, lot to unpack here, lot to talk about. Um, first of all, what do you think of China's legal team opting to take this to trial. Do you, do you think this thing ever sees the light of day? Well, you know, it's it's interesting that they were in settlement talks and there was a change of heart. And I wonder what caused that. You have to wonder what caused that. Um, you know, I think the same motivation for bringing the lawsuit, which is a financial gain and also publicity, um, is probably the same motivation for why she may have changed her mind. At some point in the negotiations, something happened and she decided that you know, uh, I want to move forward with this. And a lot of times if we're having a negotiation and there's a sudden turn, a lot of times that's strategic. So it might be an attempt to either get more money or get something else out of the settlement that perhaps was not on the table. Um, so I believe it's a strategic move and whether it's going to, you know, make it all the way through to trial is yet to be determined. But you, you made a couple of good points that I wanted to talk about, but first I want to stay on this thing about the settlement conversations or negotiations being made public. Can you explain for limit uh, for listeners what limitations are there on revealing ongoing settlement conversations? Yeah, so that's a evidence, evidence code section 1152, I believe it is in California, that says that settlement uh, communications cannot be used for the purpose of establishing liability, meaning who's at fault, who, you know, committed harm against the other, because the point is that you want to come to a settlement. So you don't want what you're being said in the course of trying to settle a case being used against you later. Otherwise, those conversations would be very limited, but they can be brought in for other reasons. So, you know, how are you going to enforce a settlement agreement without putting forth the fact that there is a settlement agreement. So that's different from revealing for purposes of, um, of showing who's liable in the case or who isn't liable. Interesting. Um, the other thing you had commented on was the idea that this may be a strategy move on, on China's part. 
Um, everything that we're talking about nowadays seems like it has to be seen through the lens, especially dealing with celebrities, seen through the lens of the Depp v. Heard trial. Do you think, and we talked a little bit about this uh, before we started recording, but do you think that more public figures are pursuing trials as a way to kind of, as a PR move, to kind of publicly tell their narratives uh, to the world uh, rather than handling this all behind closed doors? Well, first off, I think what Depp did was absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, sitting down at an interview and telling your side of the story is what celebrities have historically done um, to spend six weeks in a courtroom having very high, highly paid uh, lawyers who are very good at uh, creating narratives tell your story and asking for cameras in the courtroom so that the public sees that story is absolutely brilliant. And it, you know, it, it was a huge risk, right? So I think for any celebrity, yeah. the practice so far has been to, let's just try to sweep this under the rug. Let's settle it. Let's pretend, you know, hope it only gets one headline and everyone moves on. And, you know, and so that's sort of been the, what, how celebrities deal with these types of lawsuits. And also, defamation is so hard to prove. I mean, we've talked about this again and again, a celebrity bringing a defamation lawsuit is risky in and of itself and probably not worth their time because showing that malicious intent is really something that is hard to do. And I think that this case was an anomaly in that sense, but it also showed celebrities that it's possible that it's possible to bring a lawsuit as a celebrity, that you're not, you don't have your hands tied just because, you know, the law has this actual malice standard. And so I think, you know, on, on the one hand, it did show that it's possible, but on the other hand, do we still have celebrities who want to do what Johnny Depp did? I mean, I think that the majority of celebrities don't want the good, bad and ugly coming out. And that was something that Johnny was willing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you make such excellent points. It, to me, it was almost like the verdict in that for Johnny Depp was was the afterthought. It was really for him, it was that moment of sitting in court, telling his story, being able to tell the entire world who was watching what had happened to him. And also there was the moment of having her up there and having to explain these things that she said and kind of falling apart during cross-examination. But it was like he wasn't even present in court for the verdict. I mean, it really wasn't about the money. It really wasn't about do I win or not. I think it was more about telling his story. And people were watching and people were interested. Do you, and we talked a little bit about this too, but do you think it seems as though we're seeing lots of these cases nowadays involving celebrities. Are celebrities becoming more litigious or are we just becoming more interested in their lives outside of what they do to entertain? Celebrities have always been very litigious. They got a lot of money and a lot, sometimes a lot to lose and sometimes a lot less to lose. So most litigation, you do a cost benefit analysis and sadly, in the majority of instances, what it's going to cost you to bring a bring a lawsuit is sometimes more than you would recover. And for many, many, many clients, the advice is always, yeah, it's probably not worth it. You should settle this out. So those lawsuits have always been there. Rarely do we see them go to trial. Rarely do we have the cameras in the courtroom, which is up to the judge's discretion, and that Amber Heard did try to fight. Um, and Johnny Depp won that one. But, you know, we we don't these are all very unique circumstances. And I don't know that we're going to see this again. 
Oh, so you're saying we're not going to be glued to our TVs watching celebrities hash it out for for a little while? I don't know. Not <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> this is very interesting for us, but um, but I don't think we're going to get the the camera in the courtroom element of it. I think that you know in Fairfax County that was actually the first time that they ever had cameras in the courtroom, and I show I'm. Do not think they anticipated, you know, all the extra staff that they were going to have to have and, you know, the security and the process for the wristbands of getting people in and managing press and alpacas in front of the courthouse and the lines. I mean, I don't think that they saw this going this big in this direction. And I don't know that a judge would allow this again. Yeah. I don't know if anybody saw it becoming what it did. I mean, it turned into just a, a cultural phenomenon. Speaking about litigious celebrities, uh, Brad Pitt accuses Angelina Jolie of trying to inflict harm in a lawsuit leveled against the actress. Uh, The pair has been involved in numerous lawsuits since their 2016 divorce. This one pertains to a French estate and winery, Chateau Marival, that the pair once shared. Pitt and Jolie became involved with Chateau Marival in 2008, buying the property in 2012 for $60 million, you know, if you've got that laying around. They were married at the chapel on the estate in 2014. In February of this year, Pitt filed a lawsuit alleging that Jolie violated an agreement when she sold her shares in the Chateau without his approval. Jolie sold her shares to the in the winery to a buyer under the Stoli Group. The lawsuit uh, further alleges that Jolie's sale of her shares intentionally, quote, sought to inflict harm on Pitt. It goes on to explain that Pitt grew Merival into a multi-million dollar global business while Jolie contributed nothing to the brand's success. Further, he took issue with the buyer asserting that the sale of the shares to a stranger had malicious intent. Uh, Pitt's team is requesting a jury trial in this lawsuit. Okay. Again, do you think this one ever sees the light of day and goes to trial? There's so much to unpack in in just this one lawsuit. But I have to start by saying that this is so sad to me. They had such a beautiful (laughs) life. Like they got they had this, you know, chateau and this vineyard that they bought that they were going to have as their family business. They adopted these beautiful children from multiple nationalities. I mean, they were this beautiful couple. And I think that everyone was really hoping that this would and, and they lasted for so long. So, you know, what happened is, is a story for another time. But this lawsuit in particular, there's so much there. Um, you know, it's about hurt feelings. There's You can't get away from that, right? So that's there. There's a sense of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that settlement makes sense. But what's, what Brad Pitt is asking for is something that may require the intervention of the courts because he's actually asking to void the sale. And there's all these other parties involved now, powerful parties who are probably not gonna let that happen. So there might need to be that judicial intervention that makes that determination of, was this a valid sale? Was she allowed to sell without his consent behind his back? Um, which we can also unpack. But, you know, I I think that's going to require a judge. So while normally something like this would settle um, because it is about a breach of contract and it is about money, this is exactly the type of case that should settle. Um, This might need some, you know, need a judge to really come down and say that this sale was valid or not valid. Yeah. Something you said just made me think. Mm -hmm. Stoli 
is no small company, right? I mean, they're, they're a multi-billion dollar uh, company. I can't imagine they would get involved in this transaction if they didn't have their legal team thoroughly vet whatever kind of contractual obligations existed between Angelina and Brad, right? You you would think they wouldn't take the chance on losing out on all of this if there was some sort of agreement between the two of them uh, that she couldn't share uh, sell her shares. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so there's a few things here. Um, certainly, Stoli has their legal counsel. Um, you know, Angelina has fantastic legal counsel. They have people. They are, they are uh, you know, sophisticated, experienced in business and have the proper um, guidance surrounding them. But there are also some gray areas in the law. There's also some uh, interesting issues of which laws apply, right? So this was filed in California. A lot of these events took place in Luxembourg and France. Like the companies are in different places. No. So all we have right now is the complaint, right? So we have the 53-page complaint that Brad Pitt filed. And to me, it's very convincing from a corporate standpoint. Um, it makes sense, you know, but there's also some of the arguments are these implied in fact, you know, contracts or quasi contracts. And so the arguments, they're solid arguments, but it's going to come down to case law. I think this is the type of lawsuit where case law is going to be really important because you have some complexities in the corporate transactions that are going to require looking at some past cases and seeing how these things are interpreted. Very interesting. Wow. Well, well, we'll keep an eye on this one, too, and hopefully have you back because it sounds like you you really have your finger to the pulse of this this lawsuit. Let's talk about Doc Antel of Tiger fame uh, is facing federal money laundering charges. If this whole Tiger thing couldn't get more and more strange. Uh, Antel, a Tiger King subject and owner of the 50-acre uh, wildlife preserve Myrtle Beach Safari, is accused of laundering over $500,000 in cash. The money is believed to be the proceeds of, get this, a smuggling operation trafficking immigrants across the Mexican border into the U.S. Antel is allegedly engaged in the scheme with his business partner, Andrew Omar Sawyer. They reportedly laundered the money by writing checks they were... <laughs> that were claimed as payment for construction work on the Myrtle Beach Safari uh, Resort. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Antel and Sawyer received 15% of the money that they laundered. It is further alleged that they plan to hide the money by inflating the number of cash receipts from tourists visiting uh, Myrtle Beach Safari. On top of this, he has been charged with multiple felonies related to trafficking and abusing exotic animals. He's also accused of grooming minors for sex and defrauding a wildlife charity. I'm laughing not because it is funny any of the any of the crimes he's committed, but the fact that this just it gets more and more strange and it's like it's not just simple money laundering. It's got to be money laundering with human trafficking and, and, you know, the abuse of exotic animals. It just is never ending with these people. Did you watch the documentary, by the way? Um, I did not watch this one, but I was thoroughly entertained by the original Tiger King yeah. and then the episodes that followed from that. Uh, definitely grateful for that entertainment during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, you just can't make this stuff up with these no. characters. It's like you said, it can't just be laundering. It has to be laundering and animal abuse and, yeah. and sex trafficking and, you know, and bringing people across the border illegally. It's just, it's just, there's almost no end to it. And so it's it's also, it's so 
unbelievable that it's believable from what we've seen from these characters you're like oh of course that makes perfect sense you know i believe (laughs) all of that like there is no you know i almost don't need the trial like had i not watched that guy doing all that yeah had i not watched that documentary you might have me uh stretching my imagination but having watched that documentary you're right anything is absolutely possible when it comes to these these people do you think that he actually opened himself up to some scrutiny by being a part of the documentary. And, it, and like you said, it was a it was a savior to all of us during the lockdowns and COVID. Everybody I know is watching it. The whole country was watching it. It became another one of those kind of cultural moments. Do you think that these folks kind of open themselves up to scrutiny? Uh, and, and that might be why he's in the position he is now. Oh, yeah. They wanted to be in the limelight and they got the limelight. And this is what happens. People start looking at you. People start looking at this crazy guy who's like, you know, a part of this story. Everyone in this story must have some sort of criminal thing going on. And, you know, and people uh, have eyes on you. And now you have the attention of, you know, different organizations, of the police, of, you know, animal rights activists. And of course, you're going to be looked at in, you know, with a with a mat magnifying glass um and so yeah so absolutely i think anytime somebody you know who has i think the i think people who have a lot of skeletons and a lot of things to hide should probably not put themselves you know in the public spotlight but again these aren't the smartest uh group of people very sorry to say that mild way of putting it yeah. yeah um all right well we'll follow that one as well In the meantime, we have uh, Deshaun Watson, who is now facing 24 civil suits for alleged sexual misconduct. Watson faces additional lawsuits for after two more women filed charges. Uh, These are in addition to the 22 civil lawsuits that have been hanging over Watson for the last 12 months. These lawsuits allege unwanted sexual conduct by the, uh, the quarterback stemming from massage sessions. Watson has reportedly denied any wrongdoing. Two separate grand juries in Texas declined to indict Watson on criminal complaints. Reportedly in October, Watson offered $100,000 each in settlements to the plaintiffs of the original 22 cases. Negotiations were unsuccessful due to uh, an alleged aggressive NDA requirement in the settlement. Watson's legal team has stated that the only reason for the NDA was to facilitate a trade to the Dolphins, who required a settlement of all 22 cases if they were going to make a deal. He remains under investigation by the NFL as well, who could suspend him if they determine he violated the league's personal conduct policy. According to ESPN, Watson's five-year, $230 million deal from the Browns would be the highest amount of guaranteed money given to an NFL player. And a new report from the Times alleges that this abuse was facilitated by Watson's then-team, the Texans, which is remarkable. Watson reportedly required massage therapists to sign NDAs pinned by the Texans' director of security. Texans have also uh, may have also facilitated a hotel, the Houstonian, as a location for Watson to receive massages. At least seven women allege to meeting Watson at the hotel. Okay. From a PR standpoint, Mitra, did his team blow this with their handling of the original attempt to settle and and that NDA agreement? I guess I know. Um, a hundred thousand is a good chunk of money, and you know sometimes we are critical of 
you know, people who are trying to settle cases and, and pay hush money and get rid of people. So it's not, you know, it's this fine balance between is this going to work or are people going to find out about this later if it doesn't work and, you know, and, and question whether I'm actually innocent or not because I was just trying to pay everyone off. Um, I'm a little surprised that it didn't work. Um, the NDA, I mean, you know, they have to be aggressive, right? So I don't know what a non-aggressive NDA yeah. might look like, um, but I know in California now the laws have changed. Uh, Gov- Governor Newsom enacted, um, I can't remember the name of the bill, but um, but you can't include um, not talking about like sexual uh, misconduct and things of that nature. You can't um, include that in an NDA, which is really interesting. And that yeah. is something that certainly would fall under the purview of this. Um, but, you know, but I also understand this need needing this NDA in order to facilitate, um, you know, his contract. So I understand that aspect of it, too. It, it makes sense. But I don't know if his PR being more aggressive would have ended up in another outcome because 100000 is still a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you brought up something that I, I think is very interesting, uh, a conversation that we're having um, in this country about NDAs, especially related to sexual misconduct. And you point out how Newsom has either, has the law passed or is he proposing it? Do you know? I think it passed. Wow. You know what? Don't quote me on that. Okay. I, gotta, okay. I, I know it was out there and I- Fair enough. I, I, thought, I, hadn't heard- I know that he signed it. I don't know. Yeah. We should find if out. If it's gone into effect or not, we'll, we'll look into that, but- just that Luckily, question I haven't of, needed to give any of my clients an NDA that right. included a waiver of sexual misconduct. Good point. Good, so. good, good. Um, but he, but here's the question is, I understand the position of folks who say, no, these NDAs are just helping these kind of repeat offenders continue to kind of abuse people or harass people. And all they do is they throw money out of them and hand, have them sign an NDA. And then they're never outed and we can never catch them. I I understand that argument. But then at the same time, you have a situation like we have here with Watson where there are no criminal indictments. And so the only kind of uh, recourse that these women have is to try to bring him to court or settle with him along with an NDA. And they're kind of by not allowing that NDA or they preventing these um victims who might otherwise not have an avenue for recourse are they preventing them from an avenue by not allowing for ndas if if you follow my question um so i think that if they were to bring a lawsuit they're going to end up having a settlement agreement that will be a confidential settlement agreement I don't think that this is the kind of thing that even makes sense to go to a trial. I don't think any lawyer would take this to trial, take on the case and take this to trial. With most of these victims, they're not going to be paying, you know, hourly retainer lawyers. They would have to be paying someone who's working on contingency and contingency lawyers, unless they think that the money that they're going to put up in order to go to trial is going to be worth it, then they're probably not going to take it to trial. So you're going to end up with a confidential settlement anyway. Um, so why not save everyone all the trouble and not pay attorney's fees and settle it early on? So it, it doesn't, just from a, the standpoint of like how things tend to go down, it yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, 
No, I agree with you. I think, I like I said, I can see both sides of the argument, but I don't know if the solution is just a law saying you can't use them. Um, turning back, though, to this case specifically, what liability are the Texans franchise opening themselves up to here? Do you think that they could be brought into a lawsuit? I don't see a huge slam dunk. I think that they might be brought into a lawsuit simply because, you know, you like to, people like to name the big pockets and it makes sense to name the people who have the most to lose, um, even from a publicity standpoint. So I see them being named, but whether there's an actual facilitation, I'm not sure. I think that, you know, yeah, they paid for him to have access to this membership club. I, I'm sure they were doing that for most of their players. I'm sure he's not the only one. And I'm sure that, you know, perhaps this, the, security that put the NDA in his locker was probably acting on his own, not as a representative of the team. Um, and so you really, I think you're really trying to kind of pull, pull things together that perhaps are not enough to create that liability. Um, but certainly if they're in a position where they're now doing an investigation and uncover something, then at that point I would expect some liability. Yeah. Uh, you're going to love this next part. Um, you you ha handle people who are celebrities, people who are becoming celebrities, and I'm sure that you're every once in a while in the position of where you have to help them craft a, a statement in re response to, to something in the news. But here's what happened with Watson's lawyer, Rusty Hardin, appeared on a sports radio in Houston and made the unfortunate comments that quote, unquote, happy endings are not a crime. And he goes on to say doing something or saying something or being a way that makes you uncomfortable is not a crime. Is that the best way to have handled this situation? No, this guy was not. I was almost going to say, what was this guy thinking? But it's clear he was not thinking. And and it's not something you joke about. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, it sounds like something he was saying in jest and like, oh, happy endings are not a crime. But it's like, no, they actually are. Um, you know? But, yeah. uh, you know, and also the 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 thing of like, oh, sorry, you felt uncomfortable, but that's not a crime, you know, kind of thing is just is not taking the allegations seriously. You can still deny any culpability and deny that these events happened without making light of the seriousness of the allegations. And I think that that was a huge mistake. And it's interesting because what we saw and, and it didn't get into this, but it's interesting that this was a statement from his lawyer, because what we just saw in depth, how the statements from uh, Depp's lawyer were attributed to him and resulted yeah. in, in a defamation. So it's kind of like, OK, we got to kind of be careful what we say now. And I don't think that was a helpful statement at all. Yeah, very good point. It also just shows to me kind of a complete deafness to the the culture of the times. I mean, we've we've been through Me Too. This, this is not the way we kind of cavalierly, you know, dismiss now 24 different women coming forward saying that they've been abused by Watson. So uh, again, we'll continue to watch this one. Mitra, thank you so much for coming on this week. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, I would say the easiest and best place is probably on social media. My Instagram handle is Mitra ESQ, M-I-T-R-A-E-S-Q, which is also my Twitter, my clubhouse, if anyone's still going on that. <laughs> um, and uh, and I would say Instagram is probably, and then you could link to my link tree that has my website and all the other good stuff. Fantastic. And I'm your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ. And you can find our uh, sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcasts. 
And we want to hear from you. If you've got questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your question with the hashtag TCD Sidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily Sidebar. Sidebar.